0: So you go to your computer. You've just woken up. Yeah. Where did you open your computer?
1: Uh, on the floor of my bedroom.
0: All right. So you open it up. You see the email from Pine. What is your first thought? Like, wow, this could be interesting or?
1: I knew it was real.
0: You knew it was real?
1: I knew it was real.
0: So you knew when you saw Pine, you know what? There's a million bucks right there. <laughs> You did.
1: I knew he had you given it. it to us, yeah. And it's 6 a.m. and I'm calling Craig in tears and be like, blah, 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 money, a million dollars. he's like, what's going on with her? She's lost it. <laughs> 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 and then I say, no, it's real, it's happening. Um, and you know- A million
0: dollars was dumped on your lap. Yeah. Welcome to Big Questions. This is Cal Bussman. During the course of my life, I've spent time with Muhammad Ali, Mikhail Gorbachev, Nelson Mandela, Richard Branson, Serena Williams, Jeff Bezos, Jack Welch, President Trump, President George Herbert Walker Bush, President Jimmy Carter, first female CEO of General Motors, Mary Barrett, father of open heart surgery, Dr. Michael DeBakey, the man responsible for the Internet, Vince Surf, and hundreds of other icons who've shaped the world. Down the road, I can see my guest on this week's episode of Big Questions added to that list. I doubt you've ever heard of her. She's just a couple of years out of college. But I'm telling you, Daniela Fernandez is going to change the world. She's going to save the oceans and maybe all of us is going to do that using entrepreneurship and technology rather than fighting over policy. Technology, policy, if that sounds a little geeky and boring, you may prefer to see Daniela's story through another lens. It's about a young woman who got down to her last penny and fought forward with an unwavering vision of who she is and what she wants to do in the world just as the clock was about to strike midnight on her dream, she saw a million dollars land on that dream and keep it going. It's a great story. But first, let me give you an idea of what Danielle is up against and what she's doing about it. It's almost hard to wrap your head around how humanity is damaging our oceans. Every minute, a truckload of plastic is dumped in. This now adds up to enough trash to cover every foot of coastline around the world with five full trash bags of plastic. And that's compounding every year. There's an island of garbage twice the size of Texas in the Pacific Ocean. That island may be a long way from where you listen to these words, but it affects you. 50% of the oxygen we breathe is created by the ocean. That's every second breath you take. We're not only choking sea turtles in the ocean with plastic straws, we're slowly choking ourselves. Daniela and the nonprofit she founded, Sustainable Ocean Alliance, are helping to give a global voice to companies that make straws out of seaweed, not plastic. Companies that use technology to deter endangered fish, marine mammals, seabirds, and turtles from swimming into commercial fishing nets. Sustainable Ocean Alliance will be accelerating many more of these tech companies and the solutions they bring. Solutions that everybody is happy to have. We should all be getting behind Daniela and the Sustainable Ocean Alliance. When you hear her story, you're going to see why so many young people all over the world not only know who Daniela Fernandez is, but look to her to lead. I first met Daniela three years ago after I spoke at Summit at Sea. There were a lot of people waiting to meet me afterward, but even then, Daniela stood out. She asked me if I'd like to come to speak at Georgetown. I thought she was a professor, but she was a student at the time, and I did speak at Georgetown. I've gotten to know Daniela better and better as our friendship has grown, so I'm sort of an insider to the story you're about to hear, but I'm glad we had this conversation because there were a lot of details about her story I didn't know. Before she tells it, I'm going to mention my sponsors in a highly unusual way. I hope you're not one of those people who fast-forwards through podcast advertisements, because what you're about to hear may be a first in podcast advertising history. Now, if you listen to Big Questions week after week, you're already familiar with two of the sponsors I'm about to mention, Sportique which makes the softest hoodies, sweatpants, and comfy tees that you've ever felt. And WeWork, which provides office space in just the way you need it. But I guarantee you this will not be your typical commercial. At the end of this podcast, I'll give you offer code information to get discounts. But for now, I've got to tell you about something that happened the other day that really made me shake my head. It appears that Boxes of our sponsor's goods were stolen out of Kevin, the manager's car, as he slept peacefully in his new pad in Venice. That's California, not Italy. All I know at this point is that they've been stolen. And now I'm bringing in Kevin, the manager, to find out exactly what happened. Okay, Kevin, I'm going to try and keep a level head.
2: What happened? It was last Wednesday. It had a long day of work. And I went to pick up these two huge sportique boxes of clothing. How big were they, Kevin? Cal, these were, I mean, they were probably as tall as I was. I mean, I was carrying them and I could not see where I was walking. How tall are you? Six feet tall.
0: Two six feet boxes.
2: Yeah, these were huge. And I, I, I pick up the box from the office, take them to my car, put them in the back of my car, the back of my Jeep, Jeep Wrangler. And uh, and I drive home. Get home at about 9 p.m. I'm exhausted. Park my car in the carport. You know, I go upstairs. And actually, every single night when I get home, I I change as soon as I get home into my Sportique sweats. And, uh, and I have an Olsen hoodie as well that I put on. And it's been really cold in Venice. Just so. the facts.
0: No, just the facts. Okay.
2: Those sweats are the, my favorite sweats though, Cal, really. And so, uh, you know, I get home, change into my sweats, and I go to sleep. And the next morning I wake up, get ready for work, get downstairs, seven in the morning, walk up to my car, and I see the doors open, the trunk is open, they have just stolen everything.
0: This is two six-foot boxes.
2: I'm telling you, this was a real, real serious job. These were two huge boxes and a ton of other stuff from the front of my car. I mean, they took everything. This was not just one guy walking down the street. Yeah, we're Cal. dealing with a ring here. They took. All of the sporty clothes. I mean, I had opened up the boxes the night, the day before when I picked them up to see what was inside. And these were beautifully packaged. 12 Olsen hoodies. Oh, they
0: got the Olsen hoodies.
2: 12 comfy tees. Individually packaged for every podcast guest that we're going to have over the next three months. I mean, these were perfect. And I was really excited to give them to you. And they took them.
0: Oh, oh. Were there any freedom teas, see? This could be the break in the case because Mm. the freedom teas don't come out till March. If we see those freedom teas strolling around the streets of Venice over the next few days,
2: we know where they came from. We could have sent out a search party, but there were no freedom teas. No freedom teas. I mean, we could have... We can still have a bounty out for the people. A bounty? I think so. I mean, I think a million is reasonable. But what about the emotional damage? (laughs) You're right. Cal, there's one more thing that I haven't told you. Uh Uh-oh. WeWork had also delivered a custom brand new WeWork backpack, and it was also in the car. And they stole that too.
0: Not to we work backpack.
2: They took it all, Cal, I'm sorry. Well, you know,
0: there are a lot of bad people in this world that do a lot of bad things, but I've come to learn that there's a balance in this world. And the balance in this case is that for all these bad things, the world has Daniela Fernandez And we're going to get to Daniella right now. Okay, Daniella, here we are. It's so wonderful to be sitting here with you, overlooking water in San Francisco and a high rise. You've made it, (laughs) you've made it. And I'm wondering, was there a moment in your life where you knew that you were gonna devote it all to saving the oceans?
1: There definitely was that moment in my life. I remember when I was 12 years old and I watched Al Gore's movie, An Inconvenient Truth, that I realized that the world around me wasn't the world that I thought existed. And so everything came crashing down and I learned about climate change.
0: Oh, you, so you watched that documentary. Where were you?
1: I was, so the funny, the reason why I watched documentary, let me go into that story. I was on my way from school heading home and, you know, the usual route. And I'm walking by myself and I look at a poster. And there's this poster on the wall of a picture of a penguin walking on sand. And I stop and just look at the picture. It was so confusing to me. Why is there a penguin, which was my favorite, which is my favorite ocean animal, walking on sand? And the title of this poster is An Inconvenient Truth. And I'm just standing there staring at this poster, wondering, what is this movie about? And that same day I ran to Blockbuster, you know, back in the day when it was still around to get the movie.
0: You don't look old enough to be able <laughs> to have gone into Blockbuster. But okay, go ahead.
1: It was a thing still. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm headed to Blockbuster to you know, rent this film to figure out why is my penguin walking on sand? And that's when I watched The Inconvenient Truth. When I thought it was going to be a, a movie about my precious creature that I loved, I learned about how that creature was in danger and how not only it was the animal that I cared so much about, but how we were all in danger. And I think that's when I grew up.
0: In one moment, one night,
1: yeah, I, I saw Al Gore talking about rising sea levels and temperature change and how people all over the world be affected by climate change. As a child, you're not taught this early on. You, 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 you have these rosy glasses and you see the world as your oyster until you watch a documentary that makes you realize the world will come to an end if we don't do something to stop climate change or, or to prevent these catastrophes from happening.
0: Okay, now here's the thing. You didn't have an easygoing life from childhood, correct? Yeah. Just give us a little background. Where, where are you from and what happened?
1: Sure. So I was born in Ecuador, in Quito. And my mom uh, brought me out here to, to the U.S., to Chicago specifically, when I was seven years old. And growing, growing up in Chicago was tough. Um, you know, she's a single mom. We come from a low income background. She came to work in any job she could find, from uh, working at a restaurant to de- delivering flowers to cleaning houses. And throughout my entire childhood, I saw her working. I went with her to her job. You know, I helped her clean houses, I helped her um, clean tables and do anything that she could to, to keep us afloat. So it was definitely tough growing up knowing that I didn't have the stability that my friends had, nor did I have that that family background. It was just
0: you and your mom. Yeah,
1: just the two of us. We didn't have any family whatsoever in the U.S. It was just her and I.
0: Why did she decide to go to Chicago?
1: There was a friend that she had who told her that there were a lot of job opportunities in Chicago. Um, So she decided, and again, looking at it from her background, right, she doesn't speak the language. Um, She was struggling to find the job in Ecuador and she wanted the American dream and wanted to find a better future for her daughter and that's why she moved here.
0: All right, so you're working with your mom. You went to Georgetown, so I know you're pretty smart and you're probably studying. (laughs) And then you have this moment where you see this penguin walking on sand. And does your life transform in that moment? beyond the realization? Do you start to do things to save the ocean? Where does it take you?
1: Yeah. So the ocean didn't come into the picture yet. The climate and the environment was all I could ever talk about. right? I took an environmental science class in high school. I started talking to nonprofits and just educating myself more about what does this climate change issue, what what does it mean and how can I do something about it? So I think after that movie, I knew I had a responsibility to save the planet. I just had no idea what I would do or how I would do it.
0: Did you feel like Superwoman, or I'm I'm a long way from the comic book days, but do do you sometimes feel like there should be a cape around your neck?
1: (laughs) No, definitely not. I I more feel like the person who's on the ground trying to make some noise to get people to wake up, I'm that person who's going to be knocking on doors telling business leaders and world leaders and, and young people, we have to do something because our world is changing and we are the last generation to be able to do something about this. That's how I feel. It's, it's less about super abilities. It's more about fear and frustration with the system.
0: So you go to school in Chicago and how does that take you to Georgetown?
1: So my journey to Georgetown was very difficult. I was forced to take a year off after graduating from high school. We didn't have the financial means for me to be able to go to college right away. And so I remember clearly I was on the bus going home after leaving a job I had and I was in tears. I was crying, looking outside the window and, and realizing that in my mind, that was the end of my life, that that was the end of my possibilities my mom had ingrained in me that education was the way forward. And knowing that I couldn't go to college right away, in my mind, it was, I failed. And I had no idea what, I, what would happen to me or to my mom, given that I couldn't go to college right away.
0: Did you feel like it was your responsibility to take care of your mom because you'd learned English and you were gonna go to school, get a job, and all of the work that she had done was to enable you to do that so you could take care of her.
1: Absolutely. It was more than a responsibility. I felt like I owed it to her because of how much she sacrificed for me and how much she hoped that I could accomplish. So I always felt like I had to give her the, the best life I could.
0: Were, were you like on the debate team in high school or did you do things? like were you president of the student council? Yes, I was. I, I did you know? I can just, you know what? I always... Are you able to be, like, a United States president? Or since you were born out of the country, you couldn't you couldn't be, right?
1: Unfortunately, I'm not able to. Yeah, okay.
0: To. But, like, you can be president of the UN or head of the UN. Yes,
1: that I could do. I could see you as head
0: of the UN one day. <laughs> Thank you, Cal. Okay.
1: I appreciate that. All
0: right. Well, I don't know. Maybe you're just guardian of the oceans. <laughs> That's a pretty big title. I like that. Okay, so now you have graduated from high school, when you graduated, what was that like for you and your mom? Because it must've been, it's always happy for a parent and a child to see the graduation, but you're knowing, oh, oh, I don't have the money to go where I wanna go, and you're feeling down, but I never see you feeling down. You're always so positive. Yeah. So what, what is that like?
1: It was tough to sit through graduation knowing that all my classmates were off to college and that I was left behind. And it was a sinking feeling in my stomach and my heart of, of sadness and frustration. But I also knew that it was going to be okay, because my mom told me so. Throughout my entire life, seeing her overcome so many obstacles and turn to me and say, it's going to be okay, and we're going to get through this. I think it was that sense of hope and understanding that I have her and that she has me and that we could get you know, overcome anything that helped me get through those tough times. But honestly, the garden angel I had that helped me get through that was an organization called Chicago Scholars. And so there was this nonprofit in in the city of Chicago that helped first-generation low-income students access college. And that's where I found my first entry point into the world that I wanted to get to.
0: And did you find this you found this obviously after high school, not during it, or you would have used it to go straight there?
1: So I had applied to the program when I was in high school. however,
0: they didn't take you? I
1: didn't speak up. I know I, I was accepted into the program, but they didn't you know, know my D- circumstances.
0: Wow. Yeah. Did that teach you to speak up?
1: Oh, absolutely. It was so my that was a
0: great thing. Uh, yeah. that happened to you.:
1: Definitely. My mom was the one who said, you are in this program called Chicago Scholars. Why do they not know about your situation? You need to go and talk to them. And she, she dragged me to their office to have a meeting with the president of the organization. And that's when I told them about my, my situation. And what they said to me was, take some time off, take a year off, come intern for us, and then we'll figure it out. And that's exactly what I did.
0: So you interned for Chicago Scholars for a year. Yeah and then what happened
1: and then at this time obviously my mom was still doing a variety of different jobs and and the money wasn't there so i received a full scholarship to a community college called elmhurst college and it was at elmhurst college that i got my first my first year of college under underway and of course i was working as chicago scholars from nine to five and going to school from six to ten trying to get that education that i you know so desperately wanted so my, the second year, I, that's when I, I knew that I had to make a change. I, I had outgrown Elmhurst. I think I got involved in everything I could and did everything around climate and leadership that I could get my hands on. And that's when Georgetown became a possibility. Um, How,
0: like why Georgetown?
1: The founder of Chicago scholars, who is a, a mentor of mine, um, he went to Georgetown Law School.
0: Uh-huh. And okay, <laughs> now I got it, yeah. wow. All right. And so he points you to Georgetown. What was it like when you got in?
1: It was a happy day of my life. I was in tears. I knew that back then I thought that policy and government were the answer to solve a lot of these environmental problems. And I wanted to run for office, to your point. I wanted to change policy that could affect the lives of millions of people. And in my mind back then, it was, you know, sign a bill and things change automatically. And now I, lo- I know that that's not the case. But back then, I wanted to understand politics, international relations, and truly immerse myself in that world. And so I was so excited to go to Georgetown.
0: Do you think you'd be a good president now?
1: I don't think the system is ready
0: for Daniela.
1: And you want to be a good president now. <laughs> But yes, for myself,
0: <laughs> Okay, I'll let you, uh, we'll move on to a different question. I was just curious, because I, I think that, like, you have all the attributes to be an amazing leader. You're already showing it, and when we find out what happens in the story, which I obviously kn- <laughs> know a little about, everyone will come to see that. So you, you go to Georgetown, and as I mentioned in the introduction, we met at Summit at Sea, And you heard me speak, and you invited me to come speak at Georgetown. And the amazing thing is, is I didn't realize you were a student.
1: (laughs) I did not know that. Yeah,
0: you came off so professional that I I thought you were a professor of sorts. And then I came to find out that you were a student, and then you brought me in to speak there, and we had a great time. Then I find out that you're about to graduate and you have set yourself up to start your own nonprofit, to Save the Oceans. You're so excited. (laughs) And there are people who are going to help by putting up some money and you're going to move out to San Francisco and you could not have been happier. And then what happened?
1: Yeah, so leading up to even that decision was very difficult. I think a lot of people think that knowing that you're an, you're going to be an entrepreneur is an easy path you take, but it's not, and especially for me given the background that I shared with you.
0: Well, that's a good that's a good point because a lot of people in that situation would have said, "Okay, I've just I'm graduating from this great university. I'm going to be able to interview for great jobs and bring in a lot of money and take care of my mom. Was that going through your mind?
1: It was absolutely going to my mind, through my mind, especially because I had job interviews lined up at you know at Wall Street. My my background was economics and finance and government, right? So it was definitely something that I was pointed in that direction to do. And then what also happened at that time, which not a lot of people know about, my mom lost her job in her home at that exact that month I was graduating. So not only did I have the pressure of deciding what I was going to do for myself, but also what financial stability I could have for, for my mom and myself.
0: So your, your mom now has no home. And have you already made a decision to do the nonprofit or... Can you still reverse course and go to Wall Street?
1: You no, know, at this point, I'm deciding whether I am going to go to Wall Street wow. or if I'm going to risk it all and and launch this nonprofit, which I didn't even have funding for.
0: But when we talked, there, was some, there were people who were going to help you out, or at least.
1: There were people talking about helping oh, me out. Oh,
0: okay. So we wasn't... hadn't
1: gotten to that point yet.
0: Got it. Got it. So you were going on faith.
1: I was. I think I took the approach that Hernan Cortez did in this battle in Spain and burn all the ships, so there was no turning back. So I turned on all my job offers and crossed that graduation how, how many, stage. How many
0: job offers did you have?
1: I Had a handful. I and didn't. It, I stopped going to interviews after a while.
0: And and for good money?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Stability, good money, a uh, pathway. Your life was set. Your life was
0: set. All you had to do was just work hard, be successful, and you would have had the American dream. Yeah. And you decided to be an entrepreneur.
1: (laughs) I did. Decided to burn everything down and take that leap of faith and just go with my gut feeling and the passion I felt for this mission and for this organization that I had already created.
0: Okay. So I missed the step. When did you create the organization? I thought you were moving to San Francisco to create it.
1: So I started Sustainable Ocean Alliance, the freshman in college.
0: I see. Okay. It was a- In Chicago?
1: No, when I was still, when I, when I was at Georgetown. Oh,
0: okay. So you went back to Georgetown as a freshman after community college.
1: Now I'm confused. Yes. My freshman year of Georgetown is what I would consider okay. that the that first year that, was, I was, that I was at Georgetown. Okay. So to recap that, my first year at Georgetown is when I started Sustainable Ocean Alliance. All right. And so the reason why I started Sustainable Ocean Alliance was because uh, thanks to an alumni from Georgetown, I ended up going to a meeting at the UN where... I knew
0: you were going to end up in the UN. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) And I'm at this UN meeting thinking that I would be in one of the the seats for visitors, just observing the world leaders have a conversation. And next thing you know, because of this amazing alumnus, um, I'm sitting with the world leaders. I'm sitting next to the you know ambassador of Italy and next to an NGO leader and a CEO. And I feel completely out of place. <laughs> no, you
0: were right time, <laughs> in place.
1: But at the same time, I, I look around me and I realize that I'm one of the only young people in the room learning about what was happening to the ocean. And that's when the ocean came into my life.
0: Oh, man. You see, I had these visions for you and they had already happened. (laughs) So you start this organization and it's active in Georgetown. And then you're thinking, I'm going to move to San Francisco and some people are going to help me with the money. I'm going to fund it. We're going to hire people and we're gonna to get to work.
1: Exactly. So the idea was to take it from a students led organization, right? That had no legs really, other than just being within Georgetown to make it a, a formal global nonprofit. That, that was the mission and the vision I had for it. So when I graduated Georgetown, I hoped that I could find some funding and some support uh, for it, but I, I didn't have anything when I graduated.
0: So you graduate and that's when I, I, I we, we talked about this okay. And I was thinking of you like every day. How's she doing? Where's she going to go? And your mom moved to Washington, right? To right. stay with you. Yeah. And, and then you, did you both go to San Francisco or what happened after that?
1: So after that, I, I had two months to fundraise. And I was very lucky to have Georgetown support me and that they gave me a two-month internship with them until I raised some money because they believed in the organization so much and they believed in me so much. So I had two months of a stipend with Georgetown Mm -hmm. and I spent those two months knocking on doors, foundations, individuals, corporations saying, My vision is to empower young people to help save the ocean. Will you support us? There were a lot of no's. A lot of people didn't understand my concept of using entrepreneurship and tech to save the ocean. They were so constrained in their own worldview of using policy for environmental changes, whereas I had this other understanding of how we can help the ocean. So I'm, you know... Reaching out to everyone, anyone I could talk to, and that leads me to to come to San Francisco for one meeting. And this was the last week of my two month period, where I had to raise money. And I so you had
0: no, you didn't have the money just just yet. Yeah, you had a week left.
1: I had a week left.
0: Keep going. Keep <laughs> I had going. Had a week
1: left be- before I had to start looking for a new job. So I'm introduced to this gentleman, uh, Michael Gallagher, and he's a. Uh, uh, a leader in, uh, in Wells Fargo. Um, and so I'm having a meeting with him. And at this point, I'm in the back of my mind, I'm like, how am I going to make this a job interview? <laughs> because he's in, the, he's in the bank space. I've already said.
0: Oh, you're already thinking, I need a job. I need a job. Need a job. Okay, yeah. yeah,
1: I'm at that point. And, and I start talking to him about my experience in, in finance and my internships. And he says, Daniela, tell me about Sustainable Ocean Alliance. And I said to him, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you about that. But let me tell you about my expertise. (laughs) And then he's, you know, persistent and says, no, tell me about the Innovation Alliance. And so I begin, I tell him the journey, the story, what I'm hoping to accomplish. And he says to me, I'll fund you. If you can find six other people that will give you $10,000, I will fund you. And so I'm, that was the end of the meeting. He kind of throws this challenge at me and says, go raise money. And I said to him, I have a week. And he's like, oh, let's see if you can do it.
2: (laughs) Wow.
0: You got seven days to raise 60 grand.
1: Yeah. And that was my estimation of what I would need to live out in San Francisco. (laughs) Let's put that in, in perspective. And so... I started making phone calls and to the people that I had been talking to, and say, "Hey, I now have an angel donor who will match your contribution if you help me," and that's what did it. After that, every day I had one person that gave a check, another person that gave a check, and by the end of the week, I had the. What, what happened when you
0: got when you got five? Were you worried that like, uh oh, what if I can't get the six?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I was terrified. I didn't even know. I couldn't sleep. That entire week I did instantly You, just thinking of who else could I reach out to? Who else could I ask for help?
0: How did you do, how did you just tell them your mission and everything you hope to accomplish? Or like, now you're like a salesman in a way <laughs> and you have to sell yourself, you have to sell your organization. Uh, but I guess when people hear, I have people behind me, but I need you to come before they'll go along,
2: yeah.
1: it
0: kind of pushes them a little.
1: Yeah, and what I realize is that the person that will truly support you and give you money and be behind you all the way, it's a person that understands that this isn't just your dream, but it's our dream. When that person starts talking about your organization as ours and what we can accomplish, wow. that's when you know you have a great partner and a great supporter.
0: Okay. So, what was it like when you got the sixth, ten thousand dollar donation?
1: I couldn't believe it. I, it was one of those moments where, like, I did it. Right. This is it. Now I can. Where were
0: you when you found out?
1: I was having, I was having breakfast with my mom, and I got the phone call, from the last person I had pitched, and said, I, "We're doing it. We're supporting you. Now go, set the world on fire." And I think that's. The next step was moving to San Francisco, which I did the week after. <laughs>
0: what was the celebration like with you and your mom when you got the the dollars
1: $10,000? We started crying and hugging each other. It was very emotional right? because my mom has always been my cheerleader and my champion. She's never said to me, don't do this or you can't do it. Even if our own livelihood was on the line, she said to me, I'm with you and you can make this happen.
0: Is there something about that positive energy that a lot of people should know about because when i look at your life and i look at what you've been able to accomplish in such a short amount of time it just seems like there's an energy that comes out of you that says i'm going up and nothing's going to stop me do you feel that like circulating through your blood
1: i feel the energy and i feel that sense of ownership and responsibility that I have to succeed in in this mission. It's not just about myself, but it's about all of the people that have committed themselves to support us and about the environment. So yeah, I definitely feel that sense of responsibility and belief in that I can do it, and I can because we can't fail the environment. It's it's our last resort, yeah. All
0: right, so now you got the sixth check and you head out to San Francisco. And what do you do then?
1: Well, do you even know
0: where you're going?
1: <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I knew one person moving to San Francisco. I didn't even know what the city looked like. I visited once before. I had no idea what I was throwing myself into at all.
0: And you, you fly yeah. out?
1: Yeah, I okay. flew out and I started Networking, meeting people, making contacts, and uh, I had an incredible advisor uh, here in San Francisco, who was the person, the only person I knew, who at the time was the um, chair of Oceans for the World Economic Forum. And so, again, because of serendipity, I was leaving a meeting with him, and I bumped into this uh, this young man who was going to meet with my advisor, and happens to be a an individual who was very passionate about the ocean but had been stuck in tech his whole life and wanted to make the transition into back into the ocean space and so he put us in touch and and he was the the person my first hire.
0: Oh that's your first hire. Yeah. Okay.
1: Given so, that he was working for free for 6 months. <laughs> so I'll put that out there.
0: Okay. So basically if you're coming on the ride you you it's burn the ships you just got to come and you figure it out.
1: Yeah. That's how it was. How
0: many people were you able to hire?
1: Now we have seven. No, no, no,
0: at the beginning. At oh, the beginning,
1: at the beginning. Okay. Um, well, just just him. And again, he was volunteer. <laughs> All right.
0: And so you're, but you're starting to build things, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. We're starting to build things. Um, at this point, I had committed to the European Union that I was going to host an international summit in Malta and bring 200 young leaders to their event. Hold and it. Put Hold
0: on. It. Hold <laughs> it. So you have this idea to host an international summit. You've just come out to San Francisco. You only know one person. Yeah. You've just gotten $60,000 in a matching donation. And you are now going off to Malta in order to host this gigantic conference. How did you even know you could pull this off?
1: That's the thing. I didn't... But I had publicly announced it on stage at The Economist World Ocean Summit that this was going to happen. And so I had to make it happen.
0: How did you make it happen?
1: (laughs) So I found another volunteer who um, both Craig, my my first hire, and, uh, and Michael, who was the second volunteer. The three of us worked day and night to put together a program for 30 speakers. We... Um, looked for the young leaders who we, we would bring out to Malta. And, and
0: How did you get the money to bring them <laughs> out to Malta? You only got 120 grand.
1: Well, I used some of the funding to do okay. so. And we also got some other uh, sponsors to support us in this idea. It was so tangible, right? It was how do you bring young people into the, the, the world-class stage with these amazing leaders, right?
0: And why Malta?
1: Because that's where the European Union chose to host the event.
0: Oh, they chose to host it there, okay. So we were
1: the co host of the European Union. (laughs) I co-hosted, got it,
0: okay, all right. So that's that's pretty, you know, there's another, there's something behind that that I'd like to know about, the idea of inventing something in your head, but then announcing it and taking ownership of it so it basically forces you to pull off what you said was matter-of-fact.
1: Absolutely. You have to do it. I had to do it. There was no turning back. How does somebody
0: think that way? Because if I'm thinking about pulling something like that off, my thinking is going to be the exact opposite. Like, let me make sure I can do this 10 times before I even try it. Because I don't want to embarrass myself. That's maybe an old school way of looking at things. But there's who put this inside of you?
1: I think it was self-awareness of knowing who I, who, I, who I am and knowing how hard I'm willing to work to make something happen. And that's the biggest piece of advice I would give to any young person or any person in general is know who you are and know what you're willing to sacrifice and how hard you're willing to work to make something happen. And I think knowing to the core of what I was willing to do to put this on, I knew I could pull it off.
0: And you pulled it off.
1: And we pulled it off.
0: What was that like?
1: It was amazing. I was on stage with uh, Secretary John Kerry and the EU commissioner, and they were pointing to Sustainable Ocean Alliance as the future. They said it is this organization that is going to propel us forward and get more young people activated and involved.
0: Okay. So you've gone from basically almost being homeless to throwing conferences in Malta in a very short span of time. You come back to San Francisco, but still, like you raised one hundred twenty thousand. That's all, and you're using it to go to Malta. That's only gonna last for so long. Then what happens?
1: So, in Malta, I announce. Oh, <laughs> no. Here comes the next announcement: that Sustainable Ocean Alliance is building an ocean technology accelerator. That will be launching that summer.
0: And what is that? An ocean Technology Accelerator.
1: So here in, in San Francisco, there's a lot of accelerators supporting tech companies, right? What happens is the, the, the model is you bring entrepreneurs to a three-month program. You give them access to mentors, to funding, uh, to resources, to programming. And oh, I
0: see. You have no money and now you're going to support a slew of entrepreneurs. <laughs> This is great. Okay, go ahead.
1: Exactly, you're getting the, the hang I, of I this. Get, I get,
0: you're teaching me. You're teaching me. I got to figure out how to do this.
1: So that was the announcement that was made in Malta, and again, the uh, the next step was to build it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, go ahead.
1: So we had to build the accelerator program, which, of course, had to be built from scratch. Which
0: you need money for because you're going to be funding all these entrepreneurs who are now looking at you as sugar mama.
1: Exactly. And not only wait, that...
0: Wait, wait till we we haven't even begun yet. But trust me. Trust me, dear listener. Okay, go ahead.
1: And so not only that we have to find funding, but... This was the first accelerator focusing on ocean technology companies. We were the first co- organization doing this.
0: You're breaking new ground.
1: Exactly. And building a new market right. that doesn't exist. So
0: Anybody who doesn't know your circumstances or this story is looking at you and they, what are they thinking? Just go see Daniela. <laughs> She'll take care of you.
1: Yeah, I think that was the thinking. Okay. And so I come back to San Francisco with my colleague, Craig, who again, he's now all in and devoting his
0: life. He's been working 12-hour days, no money. Exactly.
1: exactly. Your first
0: hire, Craig. Absolutely.
1: And so at this point, we're starting to look for funders and reaching out to everyone, anyone we can find. Uh, This was a time where cryptocurrency and uh, Bitcoin was... It was very popular here in San Francisco. And I started going to a bunch of the forums and the conferences. And I started learning about this individual who calls himself Pine. And he has this thing called a pineapple fund. And I started seeing posts about him. And again, it's just noise. And one night, I think it was about 1 a.m., when I'm desperately looking for funders and Googling away, I see a post that says, pineapple fund giving money to nonprofits. You know, like, apply today. And so instead of applying through the usual circumstances, I find his email. So I, and it was, I think, pineapple.org or something very simple, but I, I emailed him. And I said to him, dear. How, how do
0: you start that email?
1: The subject line was using technology to save the ocean. Right. And the email was, uh, dear Pine, right. I would love to ask for your support of Sustainable Ocean Alliance. And here's what we're trying to accomplish and build and and how we're going to save the world in, in, you know, in, in, in this manner. And I kid you not, the next night I get an email uh, saying, dear Daniela, here's $1 million.
0: You skipped a step in the story <laughs> because you were telling me you are almost out of money at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, I- it, 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 the story, you got to do the story right. So <laughs> you, you got to get it down. We're down to our last penny. Yeah. Craig. Could not work anymore for free.
1: Craig could not work anymore for free. That's right. And,
0: and, and doesn't, isn't Craig saying, look, we gave it a good try. We went to Malta. We started this accelerated program, but we're out of cash.
1: Yeah. No, you're right. That was, that was the...
0: When you tell the story, you got you to yank the audience forward before you hit them with that. So the next day after you send Pine that email you go to where where do you go to your computer
1: i you know i just check check my email i right? i wake up and i'm checking my email on the phone you're not even
0: thinking that pine's going to email you back
1: oh no i'm just opening my email but but the one thing i want to point out you know as we're talking about the building up the story craig was already in the mindset of this is it like this it's it's over it's going to be done soon and you know we're looking for some sponsors and they're not calling us back and but I still knew it was going to be okay. I, I knew it was going to work out. That's because I your mom how. always told you. It's <laughs> so, going to work out. And so the pineapple money, you know, hits my so, hold email. Hold So <laughs> you
0: go to your computer. You've just woken up. Yeah. Where did you open your computer?
1: Uh, on the floor of my bedroom.
0: All right. So you are open it up. You see the email from Pine. What is your first thought? Like, wow, this could be interesting or...
1: I knew it was real.
0: You knew it was real. I
1: knew it was real.
0: So you knew when you saw Pine, you know what? There's a million bucks right there. You did.
1: I knew he had given it it to us, yeah. And it's 6 a.m., and I'm calling Craig in tears and be like, blah, 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 money, a million dollars. He's like, what's going on with her? She's lost it. (laughs) And then I say, no, it's real. It's happening. Um, And, you know, a million
0: dollars was dumped on your lap. Yeah. Are you going back and forth in your mind? Because, like, if somebody dumped a million dollars in my lap, I would, like, want to go out and celebrate, and I would probably blow a nice chunk of it. But knowing you, you've got, like, accelerators, and you've probably promised your next conference to...
1: The Indonesian government, actually. How did I?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I really was going to say Jakarta, but that's okay. Oh, my God. That's okay. So... When Craig is saying we're through, you had already promised the Indonesian government a conference.
1: Yes. I made that promise at the Malta conference.
0: <laughs> okay. So now a million dollars comes in. And I, my bet is you're probably a pretty frugal person just from your background. You know like, the value of money. So when you get that million dollars, like, what are you th- thinking? How, how are you going to use it?
1: I'm thinking this is our chance. And that's when it really became clear that the vision had taken off. That's when I knew that our next step was to build a team, to build a program we had promised our entrepreneurs. And so it was literally get to work. And the the funny thing about this whole thing was that I had to convert the the million dollars from Bitcoin to dollars.
0: Good thing you went to those conferences.
1: I definitely did. <laughs> that was a, a helping hand in that. How you know,
0: long did you, that take? It took a month. It took a month? Why?
1: Because of all the legal systems that had to be in place. You know, I think even now people are still trying to understand cryptocurrency, but even back then, they, lawyers and accountants didn't know how, how to process a donation of that size in cryptocurrency.
0: And you, you never got a chance to know Pine.
1: No. He's anonymous. He's still anonymous. I send him emails updating him on the progress we were, we were making. And he responds.
0: That's beautiful. <laughs> but he doesn't want to see anybody.
1: No. I don't think he wants anyone to know who he is, and that's the kindness of, you know, the human soul.
0: You got me very curious about Pine but also very curious about Indonesia and what you're going to promise next when you're there. Like, are you thinking, okay, I'm going to go to Indonesia. Who am I going to promise next? Because it seems like that's a big part of this, that you're going to think of something outrageous and promise it just so you have to deliver it.
1: It seems like there was a strategy behind there, but it's just, it was naturally <laughs> what happened. But yes, thats that was the next step, was to bring 200 young people to Indonesia, and we co-hosted this with their government.
0: And you did that?
1: Yeah, that was uh, last October.
0: All right. And so what happens after that? Because news of the million-dollar donation gets out. It, is it a little like the Wells Fargo experience where... Once you have somebody contributing and saying, hey, I'm behind you, if you can find these other people, did other people started to see what you were doing and come forward?
1: It was, given that we got a lot of publicity for the accelerator program, and now we could show the world we were actually building, right? It wasn't Uh, an idea anymore, it was something tangible. We finally had the opportunity to prove that we could create this model of change. And so, yeah, sponsors started knocking on our doors and and believing in us and giving us some funding to move forward with the the accelerator program, which we hosted last summer um, here in San Francisco.
0: So what's the next gigantic initiative?
1: Well, the next uh, initiative that was announced at Davos. Uh, So
0: now you're at Davos (laughs) with the world leaders. (laughs) Okay. How old are you? Do, Do you mind if I ask?
1: I'm 25.
0: You're 25. Okay. So now you're sitting at Davos amongst the world leaders. And what are you announcing there?
1: We announced that we have the plan to accelerate 100 ocean technology companies in the next three years.
0: And what does that mean?
1: That means that we are building, we're expanding and scaling our accelerator program to support a hundred entrepreneurs. And keep in mind, we did five last year, so now we're- so Now
0: you're going from five, you're supporting a hundred entrepreneurs. Yeah. And you know, you can do this. Absolutely. Okay. Who else jumps on board to help you?
1: So the, the next angel that jumped on board um, was Mark Benioff.
0: He's a very philanthropic guy.
1: He is. And he's an incredible leader in the, the community here in San Francisco, but also globally. And it's thanks to him that the ocean has been put on the agenda at Davos and at all these major ocean conferences. So I had the opportunity to meet with Mark and share with him my vision for Sustainable Ocean Alliance and for how we can use tech for good and specifically for how we can help heal the oceans and what fascinated me about meeting with him was that I didn't have to sell him on it. He got it. He understood. It was the most interesting conversation I've had in my life because we, had, we were in the same exact wavelength. We knew what we wanted to see come out of this space. And he, after our first meeting, he said, I'm in. I'm supporting you. How are we going to get to work?
0: And he writes a check. Yeah. For.
1: One point five million dollars.
0: Another one point five for Daniela. <laughs> this is amazing. All right. Now you know you've been talking a lot about technology saving the oceans. Like, what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So, the theory of change that we have is how can you use the next industrial revolution for the sake of redefining business models, right? And I'll give you something tangible when I say that. When you look at a straw, right, it's made out of plastic. One of our companies from our last cohort, Lollyware, they're making straws out of seaweed now, right? So instead of harming the planet by using such a toxic chemical such as plastic, they're re- redesigning this material and using it for good. Um, and yeah,
0: plastic is one of the worst things ever created for an ocean. Absolutely,
1: correct? yeah. By twenty fifty, we're gonna have more plastic than fish in the ocean by weight. When you think about that, I mean, the beaches that you visit. I mean, I know the one of the beaches is so close to your heart where you.
0: Jericoacoara, right?
1: Yeah, or you, you know, when you run your weight and you met your wife. And so many people have this connection to the ocean. So plastic is a really big issue. And the question that our generation needs to start asking is we don't need to harm our planet by having these materials that are choking sea turtles and leading to microplastics that you're eating now if you you eat fish, but rather how can we create new technologies I can replace these old infrastructures, so that's that's the vision, right? Another company I'll tell you about um, is called Safety Net Technologies, and they're attaching uh, electromechanical light on fishing nets, and apparently fish see light differently. So you can turn, um, for example, a red light on, and fish either swim towards it or away from it, and you can decrease the catch of the wrong fish by eighty percent, which is unbelievable. And it's honestly, it's just applying these technologies that are used for other things like applications, right, and, um, or cars or IoT, but using it for the sake of the ocean space.
0: And you're going to get, for now, a hundred of these entrepreneurs with these kind of ideas
1: exactly.
0: to help save the ocean. Yeah. If, if you win, when you win, what does 2050 look like in Daniela's ocean?
1: It looks like a restored ocean where it's no longer being polluted, where there is no seabed mining allowed ever, where there is fish are plentiful and we're not at risk of depleting fish stocks. I think we can come to a balance with our planet Earth and we don't have to harm it in the way that we're doing so. And it's up to our generation. I mean, like I mentioned to you the we are the last generation standing that can make a difference. The The latest climate change report came out that said we only have 12 years before the, the damage we're doing is irreversible. So I, I think it's time for our generation to take ownership of the problem and stop pointing fingers to corporations or to politics or to individuals and saying, it is your responsibility to fix the environment or the ocean or whatever the case may be, but rather say, how can I do something as a politician, as a scientist, as a doctor, as an artist? Like what is my role and how can I make a decision today? Just like I did in, in college, right? To, to take an action and, and make a difference in, in the world.
0: I'm seeing the fight ahead of you and that's 2050. And we're in 2019, it's only 31 years.
1: well by 2050 things have to change otherwise we won't have <laughs> a planet So you're or saying anything. in 12
0: years Okay, I, I got a little confused. So in in 12 in 12 years we're looking at there's no no way back.
1: Yeah. Because the temperatures have changed so much to the point where you know sea level is rising, the ocean is becoming more acidic, coral reefs are dying. Like people, the World Health Organization estimated that between 2030 and 2050, we're going to have more than 250,000 deaths caused by malnutrition, climate change, and other related ailments. And it's a terrifying world to even think about.
0: Do you think about this every night?
1: Yeah. For some people, what drives them to be an entrepreneur is a passion. And for me, it was fear. Fear and concern for how people are taking this for granted and they're not acting like the planet is going to die. <laughs> and, it, and it is, and that's what drives me. This this concern I have for the lack of action that I see from politicians and governments and, and business leaders.
0: Okay, how can we help you? How can anybody listening to this podcast who shares your concerns and feelings and wants to save the oceans, how can they help you?
1: The, the first thing I'll say is send entrepreneurs our way. Uh, we're launching our accelerator program in San Francisco this summer. So we're looking for any entrepreneur that has an ocean idea or wants to learn about the ocean to, to help us create new technologies. Another way I would say is we're looking for mentors, right? Mentors um, that are in the business side and the science side, any, anyone who can provide some guidance to our to our young people. And the third thing I would say is Do something at your house that helps eliminate single-use plastics, right? If you go to your local restaurant, ask to stop using plastic straws, right? Or sign a petition to have your community help the restaurant stop serving plastic straws um, or eat less meat. I think that's something that everyone has the power in them to reduce their meat consumption um, or save more energy. It's, It's those habits that we have as human beings that we can you know, pull back on and say, and, and take a look in the mirror and say, what can we do differently to help the, the ocean and the planet?
0: So when, when you look at everything that you are driven to accomplish and you look at the odds that you're up against, how is this battle going to play out? All the plastic in the world versus Daniela.
1: Well, the beautiful thing is that's just me anymore. Now it's a network of young people that we have in over 130 countries that are...
0: Indonesia, Malta.
1: Indonesia, Malta. <laughs> We're doing in Norway uh, next year. So <laughs> I'm surprised they didn't say Oslo.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, step up and I am going to give storytelling workshops for any of your entrepreneurs that need help telling their stories. And that goes for as long as you're in the
1: fight. Thank you, Cal. Okay. We would love that. We would love to have you. And also thank you for giving this gift to your listeners. You know, you inspired me and something I've never told you is the day I heard you speak um, at Summit Series, but I had also heard you speak on Tim Ferriss' show. I wanted to be your friend. And I told myself, I'm going to be his friend someday. I didn't know how it would happen. But that's what I said to myself, and here we are now. Friends. You're just inspiring me, and you inspire so many people every day. So thank you for your own leadership.
0: Well, you can't say that about me. I have to say it about you. Because, well, anybody who's just listening to this, I, I wonder how many people can actually take this energy that you're talking about and duplicate it and just wake up in the morning and say, yep, yeah, going to do a con- our next conference is in Indonesia next year. Well, I th- think if there's anything that we've learned, there's a lot of work that comes after a statement like that. And probably the, the fear that you're talking about, you keep creating these fears that drive you. You've promised Indonesia. You can't let them down. And so there's some pretty good takeaways here for anybody outlandish enough who wants to be like Daniela. <laughs> but in the in the meantime, let's all help her however we can. And how do they reach you to help?
1: You can visit Sustainable Ocean Alliance. Uh, we have soalliance.org um, or Twitter. I'm at dvfernandez1.
0: There we go. Thank you so much. I am your friend. Always will be your friend. And I just look forward to seeing all that you're going to accomplish. I don't know what it is, but sometimes I can... Actually, maybe I do know what it is, because I've gotten a chance to interview hundreds of people who have helped influence the last 50 years, 75 years, from Muhammad Ali to Mikhail Gorbachev to Jimmy Carter and Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, and... You're in that class, so thank you. Thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being with me. And we'll see where this journey takes us.
1: We'll go on it together. Thank you, Cal.
0: All right, cheers.
1: Bye.
0: That about wraps it up. Want to thank Tim Ferriss for nudging me to start this podcast. It has led me to so many great places. It's no exaggeration to say that Tim Ferriss. Has changed my life. In fact, that's an understatement because the best is yet to come. I'm also so grateful to my sponsors for their support. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. You will never hear me talk about a product that I don't use and love on this podcast. I'm wearing my Sportique Olsen hoodie and Sportique sweats as I record these words later this week I'll be headed to record a podcast with the best-selling author Simon Sinek at a soundproof space at WeWork. All the people I've met at Sportique and WeWork have been wonderful so I feel great about telling you about these companies and getting you discounts. You can find out the softest hoodies, sweatpants, and comfy tees at sportique.com. That's S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E. No U between the Q and the E. That's sportique, S-P-O-R-T-I-Q-E.com. And use the offer code CAL for a 20% discount. You can use the offer code www.we.co slash Cal, that's www.we.co slash Cal for a 20% discount on just the space you need at WeWork. Maybe you're looking for a table to set a laptop down. Maybe you need a quiet space just for yourself. Maybe you need a room for several employees. If you need a conference room in a distant city, try the WeWork Global Access Pass. I cherish mine. It's theater space, podcast space. I'm telling you, you're going to be very happy using the offer code www.we.co. I want to say thanks to Daniela Fernandez and the Sustainable Ocean Alliance. Please support the Sustainable Ocean Alliance in whatever way you can. As you heard... I'll be giving storytelling workshops to companies that are creating technology to make the oceans healthier. Do you have a talent or skill that you can share? The Sustainable Ocean Alliance? If you do, please step forward. If one of you steps forward, this world is a better place. So thanks, see you next week, and cheers.